Here we go. You are listening to Rumination Thursday Law and Gospel on this March the 9th in the year of our Lord 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me is my good friend, Pastor Wes Reimnitz. Good morning, Wes. Good morning, Tom. How are you? Oh, you sound sleepy. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of one of those days. You ever wake up trying to make a decision whether you're going to have a good day or a bad day? Yes. Well, guess who decides that? That's God. Yeah. And he always decides you're going to have a good day. The the problem is sometimes we don't recognize that because Mm -hmm. bad things happen. Yeah, I've got a number of items that are are, are really conflicting in what we're doing, uh, having to do with some things. I have a a good friend that's in a, a crisis and trying to help her out and such. So it's really interesting that each day is totally different. In fact, I have an article we're sending to Concordia Historical Institute on the book I wrote, Watershed at the Rivergate, and I had made a promise to them Wednesday, I would send it, I'm sorry, on Tuesday, send it on Wednesday, and things just started happening on Wednesday that I didn't get time to finish it, so hopefully I'll be sending it later this afternoon. But there's an example. You're trying to get something done, and God has other plans for you. And as long as you can recognize Mm. those plans are for your good, it's not much of a problem, is it? Oh, I I think you you are correct in what you're saying. I I, uh, often look at things, and, and I get to... Like, for instance, I had a a case where uh, I was going through a day where nobody had made a difference in anybody's life. And all of a sudden, I get this letter in the mail from from a friend of mine that said the reason he's in the ministry was because of me and because I had taken the time to to share with him. So I'm going, God is in, in your life. Now, when I was at uh, St. James for 28 years, we were near the seminary, so we had what are called seminarians or field workers and had over 60 of them. Did you ever have a field worker or a vicar assigned to your congregation? When I was, yeah, well, when I was in Godfrey, I had one. But uh, when I was up in uh, Indiana, Right. It was about 20 miles from the seminary. Every year they would assign 10 students to my uh, parish. That's good. Yeah. And and, 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 you know, the stories I could tell, you know, a short one is a, is a student's car blew up on the way to the church, blew up his engine. And I let the church know about it. Guy comes out of the church and he says, tell me what it costs to repair and fix it and I'll, I'll write out a check. 
Wow. And the Sims, the Sims student wasn't going to take it. And I said, no, I said, you're going to take it. And I said, you're going to learn what it means to have somebody generously walk into your life like uh, God has, has at this particular instance. And it was a great learning experience. I wish you had told me that earlier when my Corvette stopped working. It would have been nice <laughs> to have somebody pay the $3,000 to fix that. <laughs> but I ended up selling it. Boy. Um, okay. One of the articles you found, I found very interesting in the title, Five Reasons Atheists Make Better Husbands. Well, that was interesting. A person wrote that, and I like the way he starts. Once dated a woman who rediscovered Jesus halfway through our relationship. I'm not certain where he was hiding all this time, but she sure went with him. Oh, yes, it felt a little awkward for my girlfriend to be with another man, even if that other man didn't actually exist. I tried to be open to the idea they saw each other every Sunday. And eventually, there were things that he could give her that I just couldn't. Eternal salvation is a pretty big deal, I guess. But at the end, her religion turned into the primary destructive force in our relationship. Now, isn't that interesting? Why do you think that happened? to this atheist, that religion became the final destructive force. Because, uh, you know, as she has, quote, in, in a sense, crisis come back into her life, I was going to say founded, but uh, Jesus has found her. And, you know, I got to looking at various scripture passages. And, uh, for instance, Ephesians 5 submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, once you come to the realization that Christ has died for you and rose for you for your sins, uh, there's a faith aspect that Christ instills into your life. Like in Corinthians, it says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes. And this guy's walking by sight and can't begin to understand from a faith aspect. Yes. He talks about the three major religions, and that would be probably Christianity, Judaism, and uh, the Muslim faith. And he says premarital sex engenders shame, guilt, and self-loathing uh, in the pious party. So you either have no sex life at all or someone hates you every time you do it. And so that is a recipe for resentment for both parties. Erasing God from the equation helps you both have a healthy, positive attitude about your relationship. So there's his first reason. And his first reason, of course, is contrary to the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery or fornication. And he says that gets in the way of a healthy relationship. Who's talking there? God or the devil? Uh, well, obviously, it'd have to be the devil. 
getting in the way of relationships. It actually goes back to the garden, you know, yes. where where Eve is talked to about you become like God. You exactly eat this shirt. The second reason he says why being an atheist is better is if you have a person who's religious, you never are first in their life. What do you mean? What does he mean by that? Well, you're always in competition with God. Yes. And listen to what he what what the Lord has to say. Yes. For for instance, in Ephesians five again. It starts out, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us. Obviously, if you're a secularist or believe, do not believe the teachings of the Bible, consider morality, it's better to be having an atheist as your partner. That's what he's saying because then Christianity doesn't get in the way of your sinful life. And yet that's what we are definitely encouraged to watch out for, the sinful life, because it can move us from God. Is Jesus the most important thing in your life, or is your wife? (laughs) It is Jesus. In fact, I remember the summer before I met my wife, you know, I I said a prayer to the Lord that that He would send somebody that had a, a sincere and abiding love for for Him and then for me, and then I go, and it wouldn't hurt if she was also good looking, and I said I was blessed on both accounts. You know, God does prepare. Both of us have wonderful wives. There's just no doubt about it, and. I'm working in a situation, you know, you've done that, I'm sure, too, where people are separated in the marriage, thinking of divorce, and we're trying to help them get back together. And it's really difficult because the person who wants the divorce has often not recognized really what kind of life that they're living and it's the the life, not of God, but of, of course, Satan. And so that's why John the baptizer is so important. He had a baptism for repentance, which prepared the way for Jesus. Yeah, yeah. you know, my most celebrated case, I, I, well, I shouldn't say celebrated, but uh, I remember... A couple getting ready to to separate, and uh, I talked to the one about about it, and they said, "Well, I just fell out of love." And I said, "Well, I said I think you got to learn to fall back into love." I said, "You got to be chaste and thoughtward and deed." I said, "You've had bad thoughts, haven't you?" And you go, "Yeah." And I said, "What about good thoughts and the redeeming love of Christ?" And that slowly brought them back together. And they yes. celebrated 50 years here not long ago. You know, for someone to say they fell out of love, they're using the idea of love as an emotion, 
they don't have the same emotional connection they had when they first met the other person. But that's not love. Love is an attitude. Jesus wasn't just emotionally connected to his disciples. He was attitudinally uh, connected to the point where he was willing to die for them in order that they might be once more restored to a life, much like in the Garden of Eden. And that's what's going to happen when we get to heaven. That's the kind of life we're going to have. Well said. Can't say now, his third reason, that. his third reason is atheists make the most of our lives because that's all we got. What does he mean by that? Well, he says religion is like an audition, except you spend your whole life trying to get the part, and it's not sure the part even exists. So you're the casting director, and you may take advantage of your life as it is. And whereas religion requires a lifetime of appeasement and concession, sex isn't the only sin. You know, do yeah, you want to spend you, your time with 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 someone on your best behavior or preparing for another life? Or would you rather be with someone living life to the fullest here on earth? So he mentions specifically that when you have a relationship with a religious person, then there are a lot of sins that occur. And therefore, being an atheist, you don't have to worry about those sins. If you're living on your best behavior, he doesn't want to be preparing for another life in the future. He wants the life he has right now to be lived to the fullest. And he thinks that's better if you're an atheist. And in a sense, that's exactly the sinners in the Old Testament. They did not want the life God gave them, nor in the New Testament. They wanted their own lives, and they thought they were going to have happiness there, but it doesn't result in happiness, does it? Right. And, and of course, when you talk about religious life, you're talking from a, a Christian perspective and not from these other religions where they they have uh, various rules and regulations of how you do good works in order to get to heaven versus ours that we're redeemed in the life of Christ and our works are a result of a life that's lived in Jesus. Yes, his fourth reason is that he wants science to handle many of his situations like birth control, etc. And he definitely is against the Roman Catholic teaching uh, on certain things I involved in love actions. And here's what he says. It's better to rebel, to rebel in our dirty, heathen, sex consequence free. And says, imagine how different the world would be if that sentence were in the Bible, that we could revel in our sinful self. And he thinks the world would be far better. But we're studying the book of Proverbs, and God punishes every sin. 
there's always a negative consequence to it. And so even if you're an atheist, unknown to God, guess what? You still get those negative consequences. And even if the Bible had said there is no sin in what you're doing, those negative consequences would still be there. So he's imagining a Bible that just doesn't exist. Yeah. Well, you know, the thought came to me, what about Sodom and Gomorrah? There's a real negative consequence for the lifestyle that they lived. Yes, exactly. And it came down from heaven. You know, they believe they have found the area of Sodom and Gomorrah where it's all burnt up, but people think it was volcanic ash. But the trouble is there's no volcano in the area. Uh, and so it had to come directly from heaven. God can send manna down from heaven for 40 years. He has no problem sending fire and destruction to an unbelieving city. Uh, and, and that's what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, his last reason is interesting. We don't automatically subscribe to the idea that women are inferior to men. Now, he thinks atheists don't subscribe to that. Who else doesn't subscribe to the idea that women are inferior to men? Well, the Christian religion. Yes. I mean, so he has a totally air-filled view of the Christian religion. I find that very interesting. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, Jeremiah Eucomus wrote the book uh, Jesus and His Times, and and he, he would contend that Jesus was radical for his time, that women were not a piece of property, but to be held in love and esteem. Yes, and they had roles to play in God's world, just as the men have. And those roles don't make them inferior or men superior. It's very clear that in Judaism at the time of Jesus, women were considered inferior. But under Jesus, he often would be in their homes, teaching them Bible classes, uh, and then remember, is the first people that he appeared to after his resurrection. Mm. Well, before his resurrection, at at uh, the death of Lazarus, you, you get that clear confession of Martha when Jesus says, "I am the resurrection and the life." He believes in me; shall not die. He says, "Do you believe this?" And she replied, "Yes, I do." And the first people that he appeared to after the resurrection were women. So a a second article you gave about why atheists think they make the better husbands is because religion isn't involved in their relationship and they can do anything they want, which is contrary to God's will. But the second article is somewhat similar. It's entitled how religion tore my family apart. And I want to read the first sentence. 
This is a woman, again, talking about how she thinks religion tore her family apart. She says, organized religion has its faults, and I got to see them firsthand growing up. I went to church every week with my dad and sister, and we would just sit in the uncomfortable pews listening to the pastor prattle on and on about money and the sinful ideas of the homosexual community. Now, is that what your sermons were always about, was money and the law? You know, the last place I preached at, we served was uh, there at Havana, and I never brought up the topic of of money and and stewardship didn't need to. I just talked about Christ and the salvation won by Christ and how generous Christ is is to us through His death, His sacrifice, His death and resurrection. Yes, in fact, in her letter she gives us the evidence why there are so many young people who are leaving the church. We call them nuns. N o n e s. Because when they are asked, what denomination are you part of? They say none. And here's what she says. Our family wasn't as religious as some of the other families I knew. We would devote our Sunday morning to go to church, then come home for French toast and cartoons right after. Besides the weekly sermon, our lives were totally religious free. If that doesn't explain why religion, from her point of view, tore her family apart. She, first of all, was attending a church that was not truly Christian, if they're talking about money and sins all the time. You get the impression you're not going to heaven because you're not good enough. Well, we confess that in our liturgy that we're poor, miserable sinners deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. She didn't seem to hear that. But then what comes after that confession that the pastor is to be doing? Well, it's that absolution. Now, as we call in our Jane's servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you. And, and in the stead and by the command, my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. Exactly. She talks about her sister. Uh, When my dad did get her to go to church, she would refuse to stand for the hymns, keep her eyes open during prayer, and doodle on the program while the pastor was talking. So this shows that the parents were not helping the daughter come to an understanding of what was really going on in church because they were not being taught properly by the pastor. Right. You talked, by the way, about the nuns. Uh, Colonel Lewis and Witness from March talks about understanding the nuns, the N-O-N-A-E-S. So that, that would be a good one for our listeners to pick up and read from the Lutheran witness. 
Yeah, it gives a, a good description. I, I have a copy of it where it talks about how the nuns came about. And the more I read it, the more I realize that many of these N-O-N-E-S left churches that were not really proclaiming law and gospel properly. They were very legalistic. And the pastor was demanding good works, more money, these kinds of things, and ranting against sins all the time, which gives the impression to a young person that I'm not going to be saved because I am sinful. But it also has an article in there about how parents are to use the opportunity at home to teach the children God's word, like with the small catechism. Did did your parents talk about the Bible much when you were a kid? Oh, yes. We, we would uh, frequently uh, read the stories in the Bible. I can remember when I was a youth, my mother would, would uh, read Bible passages, and there was that devotion book called Little Visits with God that we got. And we would read through the book three or four different times as as a family. Right. Yeah, she mentions one of the things that tore her family apart, that one day she was with her boyfriend, and they were holding hands, and the pastor saw her doing that. And after service, he told her to stop holding hands because it was inappropriate to be holding hands when you're so young. And that was what was the thing that really got her against the church. She distanced herself even more from the church and religion after the pastor had told her that. Now, I have been in congregations where young people are not to dance together, hold hands, or go out on date, or certainly not kiss until after marriage. And that's not in the Bible, is it? Not to no, do those it's, things. It kind of reminds me of my, my youth at, at the church I attended. We'd go on hayrack rides, but the, 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 the teenage boys had to sit on one side of the rack, girls oh had my. to sit on the other side of the rack. We weren't allowed to talk to each other during the rides. So these two articles really help us to understand. Atheists don't like religion because there's too many sins in it that they want to do. And these young people didn't like religion because of a pastor that was not teaching properly. And so we know what we need to do is preach as you did with Christ and Him crucified. We'll continue this discussion tomorrow. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. 
Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.